0: Before we get going this week, I thought I'd just remind you that I'm a certified business strategist who's been in property for over 25 years. I know my clients shortcut their success by being laser focused through strategy and mentoring, as no one business model fits us all because funding, geography, skill set, it all plays a part in deciding what works for you. Getting it wrong can definitely damage your wealth. If you're serious about property, then your first step is a call with me. Nothing more difficult than following the link in the show notes to book it. This is the Property Solopreneur podcast and I'm Rachel Troughton. I'll be talking about everything you need to create wealth by building your portfolio in a sustainable and profitable way. I'll be sharing the realities of a property investing business. I'll talk bricks and mortar Buy to let, HMOs, flipping and planning game, as that's what we all enjoy doing. But I'll also share how to use good systems, processes and find the right professionals to work with. In fact, everything that will enable you to become a successful property solopreneur. Welcome to this week's episode of The Property Solopreneur. And my guest today is someone who we need to know about but hope we'll never use. Now, we property people, we can't do anything without having a great team around us. We know that. And we also know that we need lawyers to do the buying and the selling. But most of us stop there. But we work in property and potentially there are therefore many ways that we're going to actually need lawyers. Most of us have no idea what this could possibly mean or what they could do for us. But my guest today, Susan Frankham, is a qualified barrister and a civil engineer and speaks our language. She's helped so many property people untangle situations that have gone legal and, oh my word, that's a way to spend and lose a lot of money, to say nothing of the stress. That she's written a great downloadable PDF for the property sell opener called Five Top Tips for Your Property Renovation. Very useful. But there's more than enough work out there for her. So she advises that we all get the basics right from the start, rather than hoping we'll just learn as we go along and make the odd mistake. The odd mistake could be unbelievably expensive. Because in her experience, many of us start our property work expecting everything to work as we want it to, how we've set it out in our business plan, in a nice and frankly amateurish way. After all, I mean, how hard can buying a property, doing it up and selling it or refinancing be? On paper, not hard. But the reality is that property investors are entering a world that is and can be highly litigious. And we need to be aware and to protect ourselves from the unscrupulous contractor and also our own folly. Well, welcome to another episode. And I've got a fabulous guest today. She's known... Because it's property, three-letter words are really important to find where you are, as the biking building barrister, which I think sums her up brilliantly. I met Susan, having seen her present on stage, and just thought, oh, wow, there is someone who understands what we property investors absolutely need in our hour of need, because so many of us throw ourselves into the deep end of a project with a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of hope, the anticipation of a huge profit, and an awful lot of ignorance. And the biggest ignorance we have often is about the law and what we should and shouldn't be doing about it. But if you think she's just a barrister, she's not. So welcome to the podcast, Susan. Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure to be here. Good. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, because I said you're not, you know, you're a biking building barrister. Where does the building bit come in?
1: Well, the building bit comes in um, because I, I started out my career as a civil engineer so I've worked in both the design office out on and out on site. I'm probably one of the few people in the world that can say that they've designed a camel bridge. And yes, it was a bridge for camels to cross the road. Yes, I saw that. What what is a camel bridge? Ah, uh, well, it was uh, for out what's in Qatar. a camel bridge? Yes, it, well, it was for out in Qatar, and uh, ah. the Sheikh was having a new road built, and unfortunately. It passed through the major grazing ground for his camel herd and obviously cars and camels are not a very good mix so we had to design and build uh, an underpass for the camels but camels being camels don't like passing through small gaps so it ended up being a full-size underpass designed specifically for camels in mind so as i say not many of those and i'm proud to say that that's something unusual that i've done so i'm Um, So that's where I started out. Absolutely. And as I say, I ended up um, working for 10 years at uh, Langer Rock where I was dealing with their disputes and contracts because what I'd done was um, years ago, I was working on site on building tunnels in London and one of my old projects ended up in a a dispute and it's a bit of a wake-up call when you get the phone call that says, have you kept all your old diaries because you might be needed to give evidence in court? And that sort of made me a bit... uh, oh, I think I need to know a bit more about this. And I got interested in the legal side of things. And fortunately, um, at the time I was single. So I was able to go off and and do a a part-time weekend law course, which I thought was absolutely fascinating. And then when I finished that, I said to them, well, what else can I do? And they just said, well, we do the bar exams course if you want to do that. And I just thought, yeah, great, because I wanted to learn, not because I wanted to qualify as a lawyer. But as it things transpired. Um, It helped. And I ended up working for a city law firm for a bit before I went off to various places. So it it was a mix of being interested in the law and building and construction and working in building and construction all that time, because for most of it, I've been working for insurance companies related to building. I've worked for designers. I've worked for architects. I've worked for construction companies. So it's, it's a great background to understanding the construction and building
0: profession. Absolutely. But you've raised one subject with me just uh, that I've got to clarify before we go any further. Your diaries. Should we all be keeping diaries when we're on site in case something goes wrong? Well, (laughs) that is
1: always a million dollar question. I always work on the basis that when things go wrong, the best evidence you can have is records. Now, your diaries are your record of what's happened, but obviously it it should record the facts, really, but that's the best evidence that you can have. But yet the big thing is records. You must keep as many records as you can. And and I'll give you an example. Lots of things change on site. You might say to someone, oh, actually, can you just move that there? Now, by moving whatever it is to somewhere else, it can have a knock-on effect with a project. So there was a, a property dispute I was involved with, when it came to installing the air conditioning, what the what happened was that there was a beam when they were taking the existing areas apart. They, there was an old beam that was in the way and it was going to be very expensive to move it. So what they did agree on site was to move the air conditioning route. Now, this was all well and good, but the homeowner forgot they'd agreed to this and it ended up as part of a dispute because they were insisting that all The work had to be redone, and the air conditioning unit had to be in exactly the same route as in the original drawings because they'd forgotten they'd agree this. And if you're trying to resolve the dispute, you've got one person saying, Well, they agreed, the other person saying, No, I didn't. No evidence, nothing in writing to prove it. So, yes, yes, diaries, notes, records they are the most important things that you
0: can keep. <clears throat> Ooh, well, thank you for that because, um, you know, it, it so, I, you know, so many people don't don't take records they don't they don't go home and write up what happened today and it is after the event such a useful thing um but why bringing on to that why do you think that property people are so reluctant to get the the really essential prop um legal work correct the paperwork uh, so many people don't even have proper contracts do they oh no exactly um and, and do you know why because legal documents
1: are boring you know, when when you're into property development, you're you're thinking about the money to be made, the fantastic buildings, the refurbishment, all your ideas about that, how it's going to work, how you're going to structure the finances. You know, it the the legal documents are dull, they're written in blah, blah, blah language. You know, you're not going to get excited about it. I will, because that's my job, but you're not going to. Um, And even on major construction projects, um, nobody likes doing the contract management paperwork side of things at the end of the job. So it's a natural thing of law is boring because that's how we're taught. A simple example, let's have a look. You're, You're upgrading your phone and you get iTunes new terms and conditions. How many people read it? Nobody reads them because it's legal guff. And this is what we're told, that law's boring, <laughs> legal documents are boring. But actually, law can be fun. Law can be interesting. If you look at all the case examples that we have of judgments that have been made in the courts, some of these are fascinating and, and, and amusing at times as well because of some of the things that people try to get away with or the way that the judge will pick somebody to pieces because they, they, you know that they're not telling the truth. But the judge has to be careful how they say it. So, yeah, the law can be fun. And what you need to do is not look at it as a load of blah, blah, blah words. Um, So you don't need to study law. You don't need to read things in detail. What you need to do is ask the right questions and find someone that can give you straightforward answers and explain it in simple language. So if your architect, project manager can't explain to you what liquidated damages are without your eyes
0: glazing over, you've got the wrong person. Oh, so yeah, that said that you need to find someone who can make it as exciting as, as uh, the rest of the property put together to make it work. Now, I saw, I, I've got, I'm have got i very lucky because I've got one of your fabulous mini project planners and inside it said, there's a page titled, and I love this, titled, What has your supplier assumed they won't have to do? And clearly, when I was thinking about it, I thought, actually, that's very true. What sort of things do, do crop up? That people assume either side haven't done or should do or were going to do well well it mainly comes down to miscommunication and not
1: understanding that particular trade and what they normally do and how they normally work and quite often it's simple things like if if you're instead of how if you're working with multiple trades rather than having one contractor what you find is that the project yep. manager if that's you or 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 your project manager will assume that, well, that trade will do X and that trade will do Y. And what happens is that that trade thinks the other one's doing it and vice versa. And I've seen that just recently. um, Somebody was complaining because they needed some holes drilled for some pipe work and they'd assume that that one person was going to do it. Then the the plumber assumed that somebody else was going to do it. And it's just this mismatch of who's going to do what. And the same thing happens. Kitchen. I had my kitchen done and there was a dispute that I hadn't thought about about who was going to drill the holes for the lights. Was it going to be the plaster or was it going to be the electrician? And they got confused. It happens to everyone, but it's these assumptions that people make and not really understanding the process or speaking to people. That's the big thing. It's speaking to people. There is this lack of communication and language as well. Quite often I end up working as a, as a translator between the legal world and, and <laughs> trades uh, and, and it just seems bizarre to me but this is a big problem it is people don't understand how construction works so um, a bit like you know if you're buying a car it's pretty straightforward there's a few set models you can have you can walk into the shop you can say um, I want a car I'm going to spend 40,000 pounds I want it to commute to work and take the wife and kids away for a camping weekend you 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 know, there's going to be one or two models you can get. You've got pre-prepared products. But, you know, telling a builder you want a new kitchen for £15,000, well, who knows what you're going to end up with. It it could be anything. Um, And that's the problem. When it comes to building, you've really got to drill down into the details of what exactly you want and perhaps more importantly, what you don't want and what they're going
0: to supply or
1: not supply. Yes.
0: Yeah, I I did come across a a friend who, funnily enough, has had a new kitchen. And on the plan, there was this amazing kitchen, you know, hob gas range thing. Lots of burners and bits and pieces to do the whole thing. And when when the kitchen was finally finished, it was an induction hob. Mm-hmm. So I said, yeah. well, what happened there? You know, did you change your mind? And they went, yes. Um, we got all the way through to the point when we were going to fit the hob and we realised there was no gas yeah. actually plumbed into that area of the kitchen. Yeah, and you know that, it, and quite rightly, it was because they had never done anything like this before, and so had no understanding that you, you know, gas isn't like an electricity where you just, you know, put yep. a, a plug yep. in wherever you like and just drill it back in. So it, it was very much a, a, a learning curve on that. But when one of the things that you know, working with you, you, when property people find you, it's normally because something's gone wrong, isn't it? Um, unfortunately, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It is, and I know that you work as an adjudicator and an arbiter. What are they, and what do they do? Okay, well, basically,
1: if you've ever seen the TV programs Judge Judy and Judge Rinder, adjudicators and arbitrators yep. are like them. They are effectively, I'll call them private judges. I know judges won't be happy at me using that term, but but that's basically what they are. So arbitration is a process a bit it can be similar to going to court. Though there are special quicker procedures. But in that case, the arbitrator has certain rules about how to proceed and it, it, is more, it is more like going to court, although arbitrators can be technically qualified as well. So you might find an engineer or QS or an architect as, as an arbitrator. Adjudication is something very special and that applies to construction contracts and that is a very Ooh. quick form of dispute resolution. It can take as little as 28 days to get a decision by an adjudicator and the courts will, in 97%, 98% of cases, enforce that award. So you can get a very quick, much quicker than adjudication or arbitration decision in your favour that is enforceable. The problem with that is, of course, that it goes both ways. So if your builder, trader decides to adjudicate against you and ask for more money that they think they're owed, you can get that money being decided. To, you, you're going to have to pay that money within 28 days as well. So it's a double-edged sword. But it's a process that not everyone is aware of. And that that can be a problem. So that can jump up and bite you. And again, it's a private a private judge. And it's it's not something that goes to the court. So it's not reported but it's a very quick process, um, and it does work very
0: differently to the courts. So, so it's definitely a way to go if you don't want it splashed all over the papers that you've had a problem.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that that's the thing about adjudication and arbitration; they are private, whereas obviously the courts, the listings are up. Although, to be honest, I, I don't know many people that sit down and double check regularly to see what's on there, unless it's a major, uh,
0: a major dispute. Well, I was thinking with property investing, it, there, there would be an element of that because um, social media is so quick to jump on people who they feel have done something wrong or, or whatever, even if if they hadn't. But um, so absolutely, so there, uh, what what you prefer people to do is get it right in the first instance, isn't it?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, the, and the big... you know, getting that. Yeah, the the big thing is, I have literally seen thousands of disputes and I think I can honestly say that probably about 90% of them could have been prevented by either setting the project up properly in the first place or managing it properly whilst it's on site and that's another key thing and another key thing that I say is uh, why contracts are important is that you shouldn't think of the contract as just this legal thing that you bring out and bash somebody around the head with when things go wrong It's actually a project management tool because what the contract should tell you and most of the standard forms do is they tell you how to manage the project. So if there's a defect in the works, what do you do? Mm -hmm. When there's payments what do you do? Um, if things are running late, what do you do? So actually, it's a project management tool. And by using that, you're stopping and preventing problems occurring later on. And and payment's a good one for this because most payment provisions require you to issue notices and bits of paper. If you get that wrong, you could end up in an adjudication. And there are instances of people who have received a, an application for payment from a builder They haven't issued and they want to pay less than that. If they don't issue the right paperwork and ignore it for too long, the adjudicator, uh, the the builder can go off to adjudication and he will get a decision that says you have to pay the full amount, even if that's not right and you don't think that's right. So it's vitally important that you understand your contract, the payment provisions and the risks you run by not using it as a project management tool.
0: Yes, and I think it's quite interesting that the majority of property teaching and uh, all that sort of thing, very rarely touch on this part of property investing. Because as I was saying to you before we went on air, um, it's really not sexy, is it? It's not the fun, exciting stuff. This you, know, you almost hope it will go away and you can just wing it through because why do you need to know? And I still come across people who don't even have the most basic of um, legal agreement between the builder and themselves because they just hobble together something along the lines of you know I'm going to provide this you're going to provide that it's going to cost you this much we'll pay you in three tranches and you're going to start a week on Thursday what what is the basic most minimum amount of um, contract should people be doing well we, you know I always
1: think why reinvent the wheel. There are many standard form contracts, even for small works. Things like the FMB, JCT, REBA have minor works contracts. Why not use one of those? Why reinvent the wheel? Because what happens if you miss things out in your cobbled together agreement, the law will imply what should be there. And if you know nothing about the law, you don't know what they're going to imply. And equally, when it comes to a judge, you're not always going to know what they're going to imply. So really, you're just holding yourself out, uh, uh, you know, throwing out yourself out to the lap of the legal gods. And that that's the thing, and particularly when there is documents available. And the other thing I see is people saying, oh, where can I get a free contract? Now, these contracts cost for 20, 30, 40 pounds. I've seen somebody on a a large house extension, the value of which was about nine hundred thousand pounds, saying, "Oh, I'm not going to pay. I found a free one." Really, please don't. If you look at the quality of some of the free ones, trust me, I look at them and think, "What the hell is that?" So, you know, don't you? Know, Thirty, forty pound, please. It's worth it. Um, and and there are but there are key things to think about. If you if you if you're doing a small piece of work, you don't want a contract as such now i always hate the word contract i always call it an agreement because what you have to get your mind around is get away from the legal side and the jargon just remember that all it is is a document that recalls the agreement you have reached with your builder or your trader that's what it is and it's there to protect both of you because what it does is explain as i said exactly what happens throughout the project when certain things happen and if you want to change something how do you do that What do you need to do? How do you value it? All these things should be in your contract and they will be in the standard form contracts that I talk about. But so if you're not going to do that and you're insisting that some, you know, I know some traders say I don't use contracts. Well, there are certain minimum things that you need to to put in. Um, I've I've put it together in a little um, document that uh, people can download. But some of the key things that you need to think about are um, obviously – being clear on what the works are so specification schedule of works drawings etc this is that actually set out clearly what it is that you want that's that's the the first key thing that you want to do you also need to be clear on who you're dealing with now some people use trading names some people are registered companies it's always worthwhile being exactly clear on who you're dealing with because there are a number of times i've had disputes where one company says oh no that person didn't have the authority to enter the contract. That person didn't have the authority to issue variations. You, you get these arguments. So get it clear at the start. Who are you dealing with? Time is another cl- big one. People forget time. When are the works got to start by? When have they got to finish? How long are they going to last? Are there any deadline dates, You know, drop-down dates that you must achieve? All these sort of things you need to think about. And don't forget that if you change your mind and the contract's delayed, well, that's your fault. That's not the builder's fault. You might have to pay extra costs for him to sort of speed up and complete the works on time. There's a lot to think about there. Money, obviously. Well, how do you value the works? Is it an estimate? Is it a quotation? And there's a difference between the two. So a quotation is a fixed price. An estimate is just that. It's a guess. That can go up and down quite easily. Some new people to the construction world forget that and they'll get an estimate and think it's a fixed lump sum and then wonder why, oh my God, why is it twice the price? Easy mistake to make daily rates cost plus how do you value changes what are you going to do that are you going to value them on materials plus a percentage or how do you deal with that you need to think about that payments when are they required to be made how much how you know how are you going to value it is it a a quantity of valuing the work or is it going to be set stages that they must finish so first fix second fix all things like that and then we come to other key issues, as I say. So what's included? What's excluded from the, the scope of works? Make sure you ask those questions because you might not appear in your scope of works or specifications you first put together.
0: What assumptions are they making? That Particularly with small um, developers and investors who are flipping, they will often bring in the white goods or the, the actual baths and shower units and all the rest of it. So it's not a, one builder may not be supplying everything. And that's where you've got to nail it down, isn't it? Yeah, it, exactly. It's drilling down and it's a lot of work, but it's important you get that right.
1: And there's other issues as well, like working restrictions. So if you're in a an area where you need permits for parking are your traders builders going to need to get those sorted who's going to do that are they are you expecting them to do it or are they just going to turn up for work one day and discover they need a permit and they can't start work scaffolding licenses do they need one of those if they're going to be putting stuff onto the pavement if you share driveways shared driveways are always a biggie on on certain properties particularly more sort of countryside based because the other person might be blocking the road and your builder can't get deliveries down the line. So there's a whole lot of things that you need to think about. You've just raised some really good points that I think most people don't think about. Yeah, well, well that's the thing. It's I suppose in a way, as a, as a lawyer, what you look at is what could go wrong and try and make sure that you're prepared for that at, right at the start. Whereas, as I say, that's not the sexy thing because you want to talk about the money and the exciting stuff and no. the design. and and the flipping but there are the whole issues that can put the kibosh on that and that can really put a spanner in the works and and end up with you spending more time money and stress and that's what we're trying to avoid so it's a bit like trying to sell insurance nobody likes insurance everyone groans when it's time to get renew but when things go wrong, you're bloody pleased that you've got the insurance because then you know somebody's there to help out uh, and with the problems. And this is a bit like getting your contract set up properly in the first place. You're paying for it. I mean, I've had people say to me, oh, I've, I'm, I'm doing this thing and, and I'd like some advice. And I go, okay, yes. And they tell me a bit about it. And I say, okay, fine. Well, what do I do for you is I'll do A, B, C and D that you need and I'll charge you X amount. And they go, oh, you want to be paid? I like well yes yeah. yeah but but with all your experience can't you just tell me over the phone and it's like I have spent over 30 years building up this experience do you go to Tesco's and ask for a discount because they've been doing it for years and they should be able to give it to you cheaper or yeah you know it, it, it it's hard because yeah sometimes people just balk at it as I say because you can't see advice you can see whether you spent the money on a gold-plated fitting or a, or a standard brass one. You, you can see the quality of finishing on walls. You can't see legal advice. It's a hard one. But think of it as insurance. And, and yeah, it, that, that's that's, the, that's the, the issue we have and trying to get across to people. You need to spend the time and effort up front because it will pay dividends at the end. And anyone who's been through a dispute... Will, will tell you how awful it is. The only people who win out of disputes are lawyers and claims consultants. Even if you win, you don't really, because it's taken a lot of time, effort, stress, and it's taken you away from your key point that you're in business for, which is flipping, making money, renting out, refurbishing. That's what you want to do. You don't want to be wasting time going through documents trying to find out, was it a Tuesday or a Thursday when so-and-so said to you that you're going to change the colour of that paint? You're not interested in that. So try and avoid the disputes.
0: That, that's that's the big bit of voice advice that I think I'd give everybody. Absolutely, because I always say that the most expensive things you can say on site are, could you just three little words that can be unbelievably expensive? Yeah. And would it be possible to? Yeah. So if, if, if any um, uh, person who's new to doing property finds these words coming out of their oh. mouths... What should they do? Because it be outside now. Of course, their contracts. What should they make sure they do there and then? Well, if if the, the, there's two scenarios there, so can
1: you just now? That suggests that you want something to be changed. Now again, what advice have I given? Look at your contract because the contract will tell you how to deal with changes or variations, as they're referred to. Yeah. And that normally says that if you want something to be changed or varied, you put it in writing so there's a record of it, and you ask before you issue the instruction, normally you'd ask. So if I wanted to change that uh, from an L shape to a rectangle, whatever it is, how much would it cost? Would it interfere with the works? Those are two key questions that you want to know. Is it possible? Right. Would the how long would it take to get the materials? So one thing that you see often is people forget about material supplies. We've obviously had in recent years yes. big problems getting material supplies. If you suddenly decide that you want to change your rectangular window for a circular one, well, you can't just go to the circular window shop and pick one up. You've got to find a, a supplier, or a standard supply, or if you're going it made to measure, God, you can be talking months before you can get that. So every change has a consequence. And even re- taking things away. So I, I've seen disputes where somebody's asked, oh, don't bother with that bit of the works. Um, I'm not, I don't want that now. And then assume that the project oh. price will drop down by that amount. And that's what people assume because I'm taking it away. That's going to drop. But what they don't realise is that that interferes with the whole contractual process, the programming of the works, and actually removing items can cost you money. Um, but people just think, oh, hang on, it, it, it's Gosh. like a, it's like a Lego building. Well, well, surely if I take that away, I'm going to save all that money. Well, not necessarily. You won't. Um, so there's there's a whole lot of thing when it comes to a change, you need to be clear what what you're asking for, what's the price of it, is it going to interfere in the works, delay anything, and do you really want to go ahead with it? And only when you write to them and say, I want you to go ahead with this, that's when you make that change
0: because you understand what the effect of that will be. Well, thank you. I think that's an enormously valuable piece of advice because it's not not something that it comes naturally to people when they're just starting out. And the idea that just by taking a piece of work away means that it's going to cost less will come as a shock, I think, to many people who would think that that was exactly how it would work. So I should think we've got quite a few people listening who will be going, oh, my word, nightmare. That That's that's really not going to be quite what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. But one of the big problems that I see in towns is party walls. Yeah, I mean, party walls are a
1: whole separate specialist area. But really... Are they? Yes. Yes. Oh, you actually have party wall surveyors who specialise in dealing with party wall issues. And so basically, if you're carrying out work on a party wall is essentially a sort of dividing wall between yourself and your neighbours. And party walls actually apply even if you've got a detached house and you've got a neighbour. So it doesn't have to be about a party wall itself. But it's all to do about doing works which may interfere with the other person's property. So, for example, well, you're talking there about um, two separate house, detached houses so for example the key thing there is a distance of three meters between one property and the other and if you're doing work which requires you digging down below the foundation level of your neighbor you need to issue a party wall award so oh gosh yes yeah, so it's not just um properties that are, are sort of tied together in in the semi-detached or or other types of house. you can actually need a party wall award for uh, houses that are, are separated so, but there are some, the good news is there are some really good, easy to use guides that explain what party walls are about. The um, RICS has one and actually the, there's a government document, believe it yep. or not, something useful from the government um, about party walls as well. So there that, so there are useful guides that, that talk on what I like in, in plain, simple language. This is what I like. So um, what I can do is I can give you a link to the RICS one. I'll make a note. Um, but these are simple guides. But, yeah, so party walls, the idea behind them is that before you start work, you have to notify the neighbour about the work that you're doing. And they can either say, yes, that's fine, or they can say, no, I'm not happy. And what? And you then get what is called a party wall award. And a, a surveyor, party wall surveyor, will write this award and they'll say, look, this is the work that's going to be carried out. They may have some restrictions. So they may say, oh, you should only do X, Y or Z. Now that, that that's the basic I you can get a lot more but but that's the basic idea is that you have this written agreement with the other party before you start work. Now in theory if you don't have a party wall award and you start work and you need one that person can apply to the courts to get an injunction against you to to stop the work. Now Oh, I I know right? some I know some people will say, mm, "What's the chances of that?" Now I can't advise. <laughs> it's not my advice to say, "Well, oh, don't do it or not." Um, that is a commercial decision for you. But all I'm flagging up is that it's something you need to be aware of, and it is a potential risk. Um, so just just think about that. So if you are build doing works which are and your property is. Maybe it's a flat or something like that. You, you know, you might need party wall award for some of the work that you're carrying out. If it's just internal refurbishment, maybe not. But if you're knocking down walls, removing uh, chimneys, for example, chimney stacks, probably going to need a party wall award as well as dealing with the freehold and all the rest of the other issues that go with it. So there, there, there's lots to, th- to think about there. But as I say, there, there are some really good basic guidelines on that. Um, and there are specialist party wall surveyors that, that can help you as well.
0: Actually, and one of the things that has always struck me, because I know I've had to use them, is that um, when you've got a problem, you you can't just rock up to any old solicitor and expect them to have uh, specialist knowledge and to be able to get everything sorted out for you very easily. You know, where do you find solicitors? Because you're a barrister now. What's the difference between a barrister and a solicitor for those who don't know? Right. Okay. So so let, let's right. So let's
1: start with the basics. So. <laughs> solicitors are normally the people that you see on the you know used to be uh, on the high street Um, so they would do your conveyancing your wills setting up your business that sort of thing and they also do um, lots of specialist work and they are the people that you go to see and they will take details about what the problem is they will do all the paperwork for you they will generally sort things out We're talking non-contentious, non-disputes, so they will sort all that out. Yep. (coughs) Barristers are people that tend to deal with disputes. Obviously, there's criminal and... Contractual side, side of things, so we'll, we'll forget the criminal stuff for now. We're we'll we we'll Hopefully, you won't be involved in anything let's, that needs a yes, criminal hope we, barrister. Yeah, let's so, hope uh, we don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, that be, that's yes. a whole different <laughs> podcast. Yeah, um, but uh, so we're we'll talking about sort of uh, civil matters. So in civil matters. A barrister is normally the person that you will see standing up and speaking in court when there is a hearing. And so, what generally happens on bigger disputes is that the solicitors will do getting all the information together, looking at tactics and things like that. And then before going to court, what they might say is, right, let's get a barrister's opinion. They'll go and see the barrister and see what their thoughts on it because they deal day in, day out with the court. So they they know a bit more about how that's going to go. And if it does go to court or to dispute, the barrister will be the person doing the speaking. Now, that's the traditional thing. What's happening is you're getting a bit of merging of the professions. So some solicitors have what they call rights of audience and they can stand up and talk in court. And some barristers work more closely with solicitors and do more sort of that sort of work. For myself, I've never actually done the I'm going to represent you in court type of things. I represent people in, in adjudication. Um, that's really my bag. But what, I, what I, I tend to do is more of what a traditional solicitor would do. So I will actually speak to people, find out what the problem is, look at solutions and look at options. And what I tend to prefer to do is I like to give people the understanding and the knowledge that they can go away and do things so that they don't need to spend a lot of money on lawyers doing things because there are lots of things that you will be capable of doing yourself. You know your project better than the solicitor will do. So why pay them to go through hundreds of pages when you can actually if you know what you're looking for you can probably see it all yourself and save a bit of money so oh, it fantastic. really depends on Ooh. the nature of the project and what the dispute is and things like that but yeah the, the traditional solicitor barrister that's the normal route but as i say they they do tend to be a bit merging now and, and you do find solicitors that will will take on court cases and hearings for you and barristers
0: that will do some more of the um so the work that solicitors would do as well so it's a bit more flexible if we've got a problem where do we start looking for someone who'll under you know you because as you say it wouldn't be a convincing solicitor how do you find them how do you find people who can help legally
1: ah uh, well the the first thing i would say is that i have seen so many disputes where somebody has gone to their normal solicitor so for example i can think of a domestic build. It was it was somebody their own house. They had built a large extension, which was a, a wrap around and added an extra floor. Very, very nice design. Things went wrong with the builder, unfortunately. Uh, I think it, it transpired that he'd actually had a bit of a breakdown and it was a very sad situation. But he had a lot of their money, which they needed to to put things right on the job. They went to their normal high street solicitors who deal with normal disputes, commercial disputes. These people knew nothing about construction law, but they knew about how to run a dispute in court. So I'm not looking solicit, you know, most disputes will do that, but they knew nothing about construction. They prepared a case ready to go to court effectively. They... They employed eight experts to produce reports about various aspects of what was wrong with the house that cost thousands. Mm. They produced all the documentations ready to go to court. Their costs, I think, were around about £35,000. And then when they said to the the clients, right, we're ready to go. If we go to court, it's likely to cost you possibly another £50,000. The clients were like, hang on a minute. We're spending all this money. What, what What's going on? Well, you know, we've got no guarantee of winning. And eventually, these solicitors discovered the wonderful world of adjudication, which I know we've already spoken about, and realised that they could get a decision enforceable for a lot less money. Because if you go to adjudication, you don't pay legal fees for the other side. So you're not at risk of losing all those costs and you get a quicker decision. All you do is pay the adjudicator for their time. So it came to me as an adjudication and I made my award on what I thought they were entitled to. But unfortunately, because of the way they'd set it out, a lot of the money that they wanted to claim back, they couldn't. All their expert fees and reports. Um, well, in, in, in court cases, you can claim that back, but they can't, you, you can't claim things like that in adjudication. So we get this situation where these people won, but actually if you take off the legal fees that they'd spent, they didn't really win at all. And that's the problem if you go to a dispute. yeah, Yeah. You need someone for a building dispute. You need someone that understands building and construction disputes. Now you can, um, I think through the Law Society, you can look for people that specialise in building and construction. But again, you know, it's horses for courses. There are claims consultants you can go to as well, again, that specialise in building and construction. And, you know, not banging my own drum, but but my point of view is that I tend to it's be always uh, well, I, 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 there's only one of me. I cannot run a case for you. But what I can do is give you an initial overview and and a pointer to where you can Absolutely. go for extra help if it runs forward. So, so there's lots of people out there. But please, if it's a building or construction dispute, you do need to make sure that you're dealing with someone that understands construction and building, not just someone that has put together... Um, you know, done the uh, conveyancing for your project or, or things like that because they, yeah, they they don't understand.
0: Yes, and and I often hear people say, "Oh, it's gone wrong with the builder. I'm going to take them to small claims court because it's under a certain amount of money." Yeah, obviously, small claims court's not your your greatest uh, sort of. You're not their greatest fan.
1: <laughs> oh no, small claims court is a process and it does work. And I'm all for small class. In fact, I had somebody. Um, Yes, they're supposed to be doing some work for me and effectively they defrauded me of £4,000. I took them to Small Claims Court myself. Uh, It took about four years to get my money back um, because it transpired that they'd been defrauding a lot of people. Uh, They ended up being made bankrupt one thing alone, But I got my money back after four years. But yes, the Small Claims Court is a process. It does work. The the guidance online is pretty clear. The only problem is when it gets complicated, because what you might think is a simple dispute, the (laughs) other side might not. So, for example, if you're having an argument with a builder about payment, um, they might have a counterclaim against you, which could be a lot larger. And then you might get taken out of the small claims court. So there are a few things just to be wary of about that. And also don't forget that the values vary. So in England and Wales, it's £10,000 limit for small claims court. In Scotland, it's £5,000. So there's a difference there as well. So you need to be clear on, on make sure and the procedure's a little bit different as well. So small claims court, yes, is good in simple situations. You can do it yourself. You don't need a lawyer, but just be wary
0: of the ramifications of doing that. Absolutely, that that's all so helpful. Thank you so much. Now, again, I just go back to because you've provide you've put together a fantastic PDF, um, five top legal tips for your property renovation, um, which I think no matter how often you've done it, done a renovation or a property development. It's worth always just going back to basics and checking that you haven't got blase about anything. Um, And you're going to provide me with that link so that people can find it in the show notes and on my website and place like that. So that will be fantastic. And I know you have a website, which I so tell people to go and have a look at because it, it does explain a lot more. And where else can people find you? Are you on social media? Uh, I am on social media
1: and what I will do is give you all of the links because, but they're all related to the name Business of Building which is the um, website address. But yes, now I'm on social media. You can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Instagram. Yeah, I think people need to get
0: a hold of you, don't they?
1: Yeah, please give me a call. I mean, first chats are always free so uh, don't worry about uh, ringing up and the, the clocks start ticking. And again, if I... If I do some work for somebody, wherever possible, I'll try and make sure that I I give them a a fixed price for it because I think there's nothing worse than people being charged by the hour for things when you haven't got a clue how long it's going to take. So that's why I like fixed price contracts rather than uh, hourly
0: rates, I think. Well, yes, because one thing that did strike me was that um, one of your clients was talking about why they'd worked with you and they said, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing, you know, but if they'd only spoken to you earlier, they would have saved around £25,000, years of arguing, hundreds of emails and a whole bunch of stress. Yeah. And I think that's what we all forget, that actually the legal profession may seem expensive from the outside, but you've got to remember all the stuff that goes with it that, you know, that can actually break you. It's not just about the money, it is about the stress and the strain and the reputation and everything else. Well, Susan, thank you so much for taking time to speak to me today. I'm always surprised that there are so few visible lawyers out there who do this this sort of specialist stuff because we make a lot of money through property and where there is money, there's always problems, aren't there? And there's always legal disputes.
1: Oh, that, that that's right. And, and as I say, I, I think the key thing is there is no such a thing as a stupid question. And I've had people contact me. Um, in fact, I had one guy, He, I, I was mentioned in an article in the, the Sunday Times and a little while later, I, I got a message from someone saying, can we have a chat? So um, we spoke on the phone and within five minutes, he was in tears. Now, I, I hasten to add, that was not because I had a go at him. Uh, it was because it was the first time you felt He could actually talk to someone and ask questions without being made to feel like an idiot because he'd spoke, he'd had a a problem with a a property that he was a landlord, property that was renting out to do with them. And he'd try speaking to various people that come up to look at this. And he was made to feel like an idiot, that he didn't know anything. And it was just nice. And he said it was just nice that he could speak to someone that wouldn't assume that, you know, He knew everything, and that he could ask questions, however he felt they were stupid, and they weren't at all. There is no such thing as a stupid question. We all learn. There are always things that we don't know. Even biking, building, barristers, we don't know everything. Yeah, every day is a learning experience. So don't be afraid to ask questions, Uh, and that is the key thing. I think that's what's great about your your podcast and and some of the groups that you're in is that you learn by asking questions, and don't be afraid to always be questioning.
0: Well, thank you very much, Susan. That's been such a pleasure to talk to you and an eye-opener. And I suspect I've probably now created a million and one questions that other people are now thinking, oh, I better go and look at this, better go and look at that. And uh, But it's just dust down the contract and see what it all is but thank you so much it's been absolutely brilliant well thank you it's been great to be here and hopefully that that's made people think a bit
1: more about their their contracts and hopefully think that the law isn't quite as boring as they thought
0: it was Thank you for listening to the Property Solopreneur podcast with Rachel Troughton. If you want to create a professional and profitable property business, download my property business checklist now at racheltroughton.com slash checklist. If you found my stories inspiring and my content useful, Then come find out more about my mentoring and strategy sessions by going to www.rataltrowton.com and book a discovery call with me. The banner link is on every page. Come and create and grow your own property business. That's the shortcut to success.